Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Somebody asked this morning in the uh, in the question period. <clears throat> I forget exactly the the question, but it was something like, um, "How do I know which voice to listen to when I've got a a decision? How do I know it's coming from the right place? And um, <clears throat> um, how can I trust uh, my decision?" <clears throat> Something like that, I think. At least that's what I remember, and that's how I can weave it into this talk. <clears throat> As we uh, go through the day and go through our practice, we're co- constantly faced with different decisions to make. Should I sit longer? Well, I'm kind of in a groove now. You know, the bell rang. Should I sit longer, or is that just trying to prove something to myself? Or is it really skillful? How much should I sleep? You know, has that been an issue? Come on, are you a really good yogi, or should you really be kind and take care of yourself? By the way, in, in that one, is this loud enough here? Um, in that one, I, I remember um, <clears throat> in one of the Pali uh, um, discourses, in a whole section, uh, when Mara comes to the Buddha after he's enlightened, Mara says to the Buddha, trying to knock him off his center, you think you're a renunciate? You sleep four hours a night? What kind of a renunciate yogi is that? Should I walk slow and really get into it? Or am I looking like I'm trying to be a great yogi? Or should I just walk fast because that's where my pace is at? And will people think, oh my goodness, who is that? You know, don't they get it? You know, <laughs> or they might think, "Wow, they're just themselves. They're not trying to prove anything." You know? <clears throat> Which is the right answer? Should I do anapana and really collect the mind, or open to choiceless awareness and just let things flow? Should I be relaxing, or? really get in there and investigate and feel the hair follicles sway in the breeze as I pay attention to my breath. And, um, countless decisions that we're faced with. And they, and they seem really earth-shaking at the time, don't they? What's the right answer? We often have that. I, I remember, actually... Um, most of my life growing up uh, thinking that 
it was like math. You, I don't know if you had this in math where they, you had the textbook and there was the right answer in the back of the book. You know? And I'd be asking myself, where's the book that I could look in the back of and get the right answer? I know there's a right answer here somewhere. <clears throat> Who do you listen to? And then you go into uh, to an interview and you hear some advice you know, or some, some direction, and you might say, oh, wow, they knew the right answer. Or maybe you say, no, they didn't know the right answer. Uh, but often... <laughs> <laughs> but often if you you get just the right answer from the teacher you might be misled into thinking there was that one right answer and if you went into another teacher they might tell you something completely different and you walk out saying oh that was the right answer because There's lots of different ways to do this practice. There's lots of different ways to do your life, too. And if you actually go to, um, well, you can hear it just in in the different talks. Each person up here has their own way of sharing the same basic idea. Pay attention, be kind let life reveal itself to you, okay? I mean, that's the deal, isn't it? But there's so many variations and flavors of that. And some really speak to you, and maybe others speak less to you. But if you ask five teachers a particular point, you might have different answers, and then there's also different approaches to practice. You know, some teachers, um, we're pretty aligned in, in our approach to practice. But if you sit with you know, some teachers, it's, you know, go for it, turn up the jets, just really get in there. Don't let a moment go to waste. <clears throat> and then other teachers, just relax. You know, just allow... Life to come to you. Don't be pouncing on experience. So, not to get deceived into thinking one right answer. Particularly when we're working with thoughts, how many different ways there are to work with this mind. And the the Buddha also recognized that there is Lots of different ways to work with the mind. You might think, oh, I know the right answer. Just be mindful. Well, that's generally the right answer, but it's not always. Because sometimes it's really hard to be mindful. Because we can get identified with our thoughts in a moment and take them to be real, take them to be mine, and sometimes the mindfulness isn't strong enough. And so we have what most of you have, are familiar with. I think it's been used here a few times. The, this 
uh, amazing capacity for papancha, where one thought gives rise to another thought and another thought, and you can get swept up in the storm in a moment. And it's not so easy to be mindful at that time. <clears throat> a few papancha examples. This is from uh, Calvin and Hobbes, one of my favorite Calvin and Hobbes cartoons. Calvin starts off, first frame, here I am, happy and content. Second frame, but not euphoric. (laughs) Third frame, so I'm no longer content. I'm unhappy. My day is ruined. Fourth frame, I need to stop thinking while I'm ahead. (laughs) If we can only stop thinking when we're ahead. You see somebody who catches your eye and maybe they just happen to be looking in your direction as as you're seeing them. And you might think, they looked at me. (laughs) Oh my goodness, what do we have here? And you're just off to the races, you know, with your blissful VR that's Vipassana romance that's got you in the grip for the next five days or month, whatever it is. Or somebody just, you know, might have gotten gotten a little bit of a, a grumpy mood, and as they pass you, you're sure that they've got daggers going towards you. And then you get into the Vipassana vendetta. Every time you see the VV, every time you see them, it's my enemy. You know? And Papancha has taken hold. <laughs> or you do the, the metta meditation and somebody is, is guiding it. May, may, you be, may all beings be happy. May all, and you say, oh my God, you know, I can't feel one iota of metta for anyone. I can't feel that loving space. I know I wasn't loved when I was younger. <laughs> I'm not lovable. I'm not capable of love. You know, this, this gets very disconcerting for people in doing, doing metta practice. And the mind just spins a whole story with it. I'm remembering when I was... Uh, it was my, my first memorable experience of papancha when I was, uh, before I got into practice, when I was going to, um, I I had just gotten into this, uh, started high school in this pretty rigorous um, high school in New York. And um, uh, I had done pretty well in school up until then. And this first, um, it was like the first month or so, there was surprise chem quiz Ten questions, and I got three right. I'd never failed anything before. That night, I remember this night very clearly, I had talked myself into flunking out of school, <laughs> being disowned, <laughs> be ending up, I was on the Bowery, what we call the Bowery in New York. I was a bum. I, and I even saw the wine that I was, that I, I imagine I was in the wine bottles. The mind can take you anywhere. And we can 
create a lot of problems when we believe our thoughts. When we don't, easy as pie. Thoughts are as empty as we see them to be or as real as we believe them to be. In one moment, we're hooked. Joseph, many of you have heard this, one of my favorite instructions from, from Joseph. If you're having a problem with your thoughts, just imagine they're coming from the person behind you. <laughs> it frees up everything, doesn't it? <clears throat> How we hold experience will determine the ease and the peace inside. Here's a couple of anecdotes on thoughts. <clears throat> two little boys were brought to two doors. The pessimist was taken in, was taken in one with all the toys that should make any boy happy, and the door was shut. The other boy, an optimist, was taken in his room, which had a shovel and was knee-deep in horse manure. The door was shut. After some time, the first boy checked, was checked on. He was sitting in the middle of the room with a big pout on his face. When asked what he was looking for, he replied, Oh, I'm, th- I'm, through, about, uh, I'm through with this. I don't like this one. I don't want to try it. It's probably broke anyway. Where's the toy I really want? Then the other door opened. This boy was grinning from ear to ear with manure all over him just shoveling away. When questioned, he replied, with all this stuff in here, there's just got to be a pony somewhere. (laughs) How we hold our experience, right? We can get so discouraged. Here's one, one more from Chicken Soup from the Soul. As I was driving home, this is true, as I was driving home from work one day, I stopped to watch a local Little League baseball game that was being played in a park near my home. As I sat down behind the bench on the first baseline, I asked one of the boys what the score was. We're behind 14 to nothing, he answered with a smile. (laughs) Really, I said, I have to say, you don't look very discouraged. Discouraged, the boy asked with a puzzled look on his face. Why should we be discouraged? We haven't been up to bat yet. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, if it were only so easy to get some space around our thoughts and hold things in a different perspective. But it's not. And uh, often it's not. Until you see in a moment how you've created this whole world with your mind. So I wanted to offer, at least for the first part of this talk, some of the Buddhist suggestions besides mindfulness in dealing with thoughts that snag us. This is the discourse on the removal of distracting thoughts. It's Majima number 20. It's one of my favorite suttas. He says, uh, when a practitioner is giving attention to some thought and owing to that thought that there arises in him or her, other unwholesome thoughts connected with desire, with hate, with delusion, then one should give attention to some other thought connected with what is wholesome when giving attention to this other thought connected with what's wholesome, then the unwholesome thoughts connected with desire, hatred, and delusion are abandoned and subside. 
With the abandoning, the mind becomes steadied internally, quieted, brought to singleness, and concentrated. Just as a skilled carpenter or his apprentice might knock out, remove, and extract a coarse peg by means of a fine one, so too when a practitioner gives attention to some other thought connected with what's wholesome, the mind becomes steadied, internally quieted, brought to singleness and concentration. So, this is something probably many of you have seen many times. When you're caught in a thought and the mindfulness isn't strong enough to say, oh, just thinking, it's just thought, then you can replace it with another more skillful, wholesome thought or reflection. For instance, if you're having a lot of um, anger, what's one thing you might replace it with? Anyone? Gratitude. Good. Anything else? Huh? Loving kindness. Yeah. The antidote. Oh, not necessarily loving kindness for the person you're ticked off at, although maybe you can do that, but even to just bring some loving kindness to yourself for getting caught or for somebody else. That's very skillful. If you're having a lot of doubt, what might you use as a, as, an, as a wholesome thought that might counteract that? What's that? Taking refuge. Taking refuge. Something that brings about some faith, confidence, refuge in the Buddha or the Sangha, the Dharma. So lots of times we do this. We see, okay, I'm really getting caught in here. What's going to help me to get some space? What wholesome reflection? Feeling anger or feeling getting lost in in our confusion, we might bring some compassion for our predicament. Lots of different ways. But that's not the only strategy. If while giving attention to some other thought connected with what's wholesome, there still arise unwholesome thoughts, then one should examine the danger in those thoughts. Thus, these thoughts are unwholesome and they result in suffering. When he examines or they examine the danger in those thoughts, then the unwholesome thoughts connected with desire, hatred, and delusion are abandoned. Within the, the abandoning, the mind becomes steadied. Just as, and here, there's a, 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 um, a, a metaphor for each one or a simile for each one. Just as a man or a woman, young, youthful, and fond of ornaments, would be horrified, humiliated, and disgusted if the carcass of a snake or a dog or a human being were hung around his or her neck, (laughs) so too a practitioner examines the danger in those thoughts, and doing so, the mind becomes steadied internally, quieted, brought to singleness, and concentrated. Basically, that is saying, wait a second, do I really want to go there? If you see a habit, a pattern of thought that you're going to just get lost in, whoa, do I really want to get hooked by that and go down that road? And so sometimes it might be helpful to name a particular pattern of thoughts. Oh, relationship thoughts or work thoughts, 
or what am I going to do with my life thoughts or whatever it is. And you kind of frame it and say, wait a second, I don't want to jump on the train. That can be a very skillful strategy. Third, if while examining the danger in those thoughts there still arise unwholesome thoughts, then one should try to forget those thoughts and should not give attention to them. Trying to forget those thoughts, then the unwholesome thoughts connected with desire, hatred, and delusion are abandoned. Just as a man with good eyes who did not want to see forms that had come within range of sight would either shut his eyes or look away, so too when a practitioner tries to forget those thoughts and does not give attention to them, his mind becomes steadied, internally quieted, brought to singleness, and concentrated. This is called the strategy of forgetfulness and inattention. This is the Buddha recommending forgetfulness and inattention. What he's saying is, turn your attention elsewhere. This is different from the first in that the first one is a substitution. This is turning your attention to something that's actually happening. And you probably do this many times. If you're getting worn down by a a physical pain, it's not so skillful to keep on focusing on that pain. The mind becomes withered, the word in the, in the teachings are. It becomes fatigued. And so you want to take a break. Notice where there's not any pain in the body. Oh, there's not pain here. Or you might open up to sounds or feel the breath. Something that's happening in your experience other than the difficult thing that's snagging you. And in the same way, when you're lost in a particular thought, besides a physical sensation, you can turn your attention to something that's actually here, like feeling your feet on the ground, feeling your body sitting here, just as simple as that. Can you feel yourself sitting here? Right away, that interrupts the papancha. So, third. Fourth. If while trying to forget those thoughts and not give them attention, there still arise unwholesome thoughts, then one should give attention to stilling the thought formation of those thoughts, and the mind becomes quieted. Just as a man walking fast might consider, why am I walking fast? What if I walk slowly? And he would walk slowly, he might consider, why am I walking slowly? What if I stand? And he would stand, then he might consider, why am I standing? What if I sit? And he would sit, then he might consider, why am I sitting? What if I lie down? It's getting better all the time. (laughs) And he would lie down. By doing so, he would substitute for each grosser posture one that was subtler. And so, too, when a a practitioner gives attention to stilling the thought formations of those thoughts, the mind becomes steadied, quieted, and concentrated. There's, I, I've, I've seen two interpretations of this. One is a kind of mm, obvious one from that example of just relaxing a bit more, just lightening up and not getting so agitated. This is very skillful practice. You might go for a walk, get some space, have a cup of tea, 
because you're doing it in the service of just getting some space and having some ease mind. Another way to think of it or to use this approach is getting to the source of the thoughts, which can either be, what am I feeling now? What's the feeling that's fueling all of these thoughts? Oh, there's some sadness here. There's some tiredness. There's some um, frustration. That's what's the hot spring out of which these thoughts are boiling over. Or you might just go to the very root and see where do thoughts come from. That's really getting to the root of the thoughts, stilling the thought formations. And then the fifth and last one. If while giving attention to stilling the thought formations, there still arise unwholesome thoughts, then, and I say this with some uh, caution, then with teeth clenched, and tongue pressed against the roof of the mouth, one should beat down, constrain, and crush mind with mind. When doing this, when one beats down, uh, clenched teeth, tongue pressed against the roof, beats down, constrains, and crushes mind with mind, then the unwholesome thoughts connected with desire, with hate and delusion, are abandoned. Just as... A strong man might seize a weaker man by the head or shoulders and beat him down, constrain him, and crush him. So too, when with teeth clenched and and tongue pressed against the roof of the mouth, practitioner beats down, constrains, and crushes mind with mind. The mind becomes steadied internally, quieted, (laughs) Now you have to understand, the Buddha was from the warrior caste. And... He didn't mess around. But you can't do this, at least in my understanding, you can't do this with anger in your heart. Because all you do, all you're doing is just contracting more. But you probably have a glimpse of this in your own practice when sometimes you just say, enough. Okay, enough. Like, a kind, loving parent gives some tough love and says, stop already, enough. If you can do that, have, have, let me see, anybody have that experience? Okay, so you know. Again, you can't do this with anger and aversion in your mind. It's got to come from a very clear, firm place where that clarity can just cut through like Manjushri's sword, cutting through the confusion. So, what's the teaching in all of this? There's no one right way. Sometimes the question, am I doing it right, is the prime question that we keep on asking ourselves. You can't evaluate what your experience, how your experience is going while you're in the middle of it. This has come up many times in interviews. It's like you're in the middle of, you know, you're Alice in Wonderland trying to figure out the, 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 the map. 
And so not to question or doubt, oh, am I doing it right? If you're showing up, you're doing it right. And that thought, am I doing it right, is just another thought, and especially thinking that there's one right way. There's many different perspectives. Ajahn Chah, who you know, is Jack Cornfield's teacher and um, uh, Ajahn Sumedho's teacher, Ajahn Amaro's teacher, he was asked, well, you know, sometimes it seems like you contradict yourself, you know, and you say one thing to one person and one thing to another. And he has this famous response where he says, well, it's a path that I know very well, and if I see somebody toppling over into the ditch on the, the right, I'll say, go left, go left. And if I see somebody toppling over to the left, I'll say, go right, go right. And so it might seem like a contradiction. Jack once said to him with uh, some of his uh, uh, quintessential chutzpah, well, you know, sometimes you don't even seem so enlightened. (laughs) This is true. And Ajahn Chah said, you know, it's a good thing that I don't fit your image of enlightenment. Otherwise, you'd be thinking that the Buddha is outside of yourself. And Jack wrote this, uh, or put together this brilliant book living, that's now called Living Dharma, of 12 different masters from Thailand and Burma with their 12 different approaches to doing practice, from Ajahn Chah to Mahasi Sayadaw to Uba Kin to Buddha Dasa, you know, really wonderful, profound teachings and approaches to, to Vipassana all their own unique style. Some of them saying, this is the real way, but some of them saying, this is my way. It's a very good book, actually, to to read, to kind of get a sense of of how many different ways there are to do practice. And we can have a... Uh, really great Dharma discussions. It's one of the most fun things about, about having a collective of teachers where we say, you know, what, what, do, you, what do you think about this? Or what do you think about this? Well, you know, are the, are the, is awareness a skanda or is it the unconditioned? You know, what do you think? You know, what do you think cessation is about? Is it consciousness stopping or is it cessation of greed, hatred, and delusion? Lots of different friendly um, debates and discussions, lively discussions about different ways to understand the teachings. So with all of this, who do you turn to? Who do you trust? Who do you think? As the Buddha says to the Kalamas, Kalamas, <clears throat> when they my my one of my favorite discourses of all, as the Kalamas, probably many of you are familiar with this, but it bears repeating. You know, how do we know who's telling the truth? Everybody comes through our town and says they've got the truth, and now you say you've got the truth. It's very confusing. And it leads to a lot of doubt. And he says, 
It's indeed fitting to be uncertain. It is fitting to doubt, as you describe it. For in situations of uncertainty, doubts surely arise. You should decide what's true, not by what you've heard, not by following convention, not by assuming it is so, not by relying on the texts, not because of reasoning, not because of logic, not by thinking about explanations, not by acquiescing to the views that you prefer, not because it appears likely, and certainly not out of respect for a teacher. But when you would know for yourselves, Kalamas, that these things are unhealthy, these things, when entered upon and undertaken, inclined towards harm or suffering, then, Kalamas, you should reject them. And when you would know for yourselves, for yourselves, these things are healthy, these things, when entered upon and undertaken, inclined toward welfare and happiness, then, having come to them, you should stay with them. So, what does this mean? And I want to say that um, I don't want you to think, oh, well, I should just keep on uh, just relying on myself and not listen to uh, the guidance of, of the teacher. Because there's something about having that perspective when you're not in the process that can be very valuable. But ultimately, it comes down to listening to yourself. You listen to yourself anyway. Even when you're beating yourself up, you listen to yourself, right? Or when you've got cause for confusion and thinking, oh, I should throw in the towel. Um, you might as well listen to yourself, but listen to yourself wisely, with skill. And that's what I want to talk about. What does this mean to trust yourself, trust your own experience? When I first thought of the idea of trusting myself, trusting myself, it, um, I didn't think I could do it because I didn't trust myself. You know, I had played tricks on myself my whole life. But what this trust is about is not in me getting the right answer or knowing what's right, but trusting in the awareness without identifying with it, without saying, oh yeah, I think I got it. I think I, I kind of got it. If you're thinking in terms of trusting my mind. You know, this is not trusting in James knowing. This is what uh, Ajahn Chah and Ajahn Sumedho call trusting in your Buddha knowing. Or as Mahabua talks about, the one who knows. This is different from the thoughts that lead us down to confusion and suffering. And in fact, it means you let go of thinking you know the answer. Have you ever seen that? When you let go? When you let go of knowing? You know, this is called insight meditation, right? And every now and then, an insight happens. You don't get an insight when you start off saying, Let's see, I think this is how it's going to turn out. 
And then you say, aha, see, I was right. No insight there. Insight comes when you're opening to things in a new way and you see, oh, wow, look at that. Aha. It's precisely because you let go of your figuring out mind that you start to wake up. If you're patting yourself in the back saying, pretty clever, not an insight. In order to go, aha, you have to let go of your brilliance and cleverness and knowing and let go of figuring it out. And a lot of times, this is here just by being present for your experience. No, I think I'll wait on that. The image that I have that um, is very helpful for me in doing this practice is uh, that of Milarepa, the uh, great Tibetan yogi. You can always tell Milarepa in the, uh, in the tankas, he's the one who has his hand to his ear. And he is listening to the song of the Dharma. He's listening to the song of the truth. The hundred thousand songs of Milarepa. It's uh, is a, is a you know, famous line. And what we're doing is learning to listen more and more rather than figure out. Because when we're listening, we can hear the truth. We've been practicing listening to the moment our whole month here. Listening to what's actually happening now. Oh, breathing is happening now. Hearing is happening now. Having some... Some pain is happening now in the heart or in the body. Oh, having some joy and some love, that's what's happening now. This is what's happening. And you're listening to the truth in this moment. As you get better and better at that, you have this capacity to listen to the truth that's right inside. It's very different than thinking through analytically but rather allowing the wisdom to emerge. And it's right here. There's a, a line uh, or a, a story about Michelangelo when someone lavished praise on him for his skill in creating the beautiful masterpiece, David. He, he brushed aside the compliment saying, the man was already in the stone. I merely removed all the pieces of rock that kept him from being seen. And that's what we're doing. We're we're not getting caught in the impurities so we can listen to that beautiful song of truth inside. Seeing our own nature, our own Buddha nature, or whatever you call it, the one who knows, the Buddha knowing. And we can doubt ourselves. I don't know if I can, if I can do that. You know, I don't know if I, if I have the capacity to do that. Don't doubt you have the capacity to, to do it. Everything in your life has brought you here. So you must have quite extraordinary karma 
Don't doubt it. I had this experience that I sometimes shared, a favorite story of mine about visiting uh, Punjaji, this teacher that has been mentioned. And um, he talked about... um, he talked about grace. And I, he said, you know, you're here, you know, don't worry, you know, you can, you can be free. He was telling everyone, you can be free, you can be free. And I thought in terms of, well, what if my karma isn't ripe yet? You know, because I believe that, well, the karmic unfolding, it might take, you know, 20,000 lifetimes or who knows how long. And how, he's saying I could be free, you know, I don't know. And I said to him, I put it in those terms, he said, and I said, you know, uh, uh, Punjaji, you, you say that, that, that we, all have, we all have grace, but what if, what if it's not our time for that grace to be developed fully? You know, and because I, you know, I have doubts. And he looked at me and he said, he said, you've come here from around the world. I didn't say this, did I? I say this story. Come here from around the world, very sincere heart, good teacher, <laughs> good circumstances, good opportunity. He says, Grace, you're neck deep in grace, and you wonder if you have grace. <laughs> we are all neck deep in grace, every one of us. Amazing that we have the time, the inclination, the opportunity, the circumstances to go as deeply as we can into the truth. We are neck deep in grace. Don't doubt. Don't doubt that. It's just another thought. And as you have more and more confidence that you are being held and supported by the Dharma, then you see what's here all the time. You see who you really are. This is the Buddha. I think Howie mentioned this, quoted this. Luminous is this mind, brightly shining, but colored by attachments that visit it. This the unlearned people don't really understand, and so they do not cultivate the mind. Luminous is this mind, brightly shining, and it is free of the attachments that visit it. This, the noble follower of the way, really understands, and so for them there is cultivation of the mind. It's not that you have to get rid of anything, it's just that you have to see through the attachments that are there, because what's left is that luminous mind. Or as Huang Po, the Zen master, great Zen master said, I read this at one of the late night sittings, Your true nature is something never lost to you, even in moments of delusion. It is the nature of the suchness of things. This pure mind, the source of everything, shines forever and on all with the brilliance of its own perfection. But most people of the world do not awake to it, regarding only that which sees, hears, feels, and knows as mind. Blinded by their own sight, hearing, feeling, and knowing, they do not perceive the spiritual brilliance of the source. If they would only eliminate all conceptual thought in a flash, 
that source would manifest itself like the sun ascending through the void and illuminating the whole universe without hindrance or bounds. That's who you really are when you're not caught in your thoughts about who you think you are. So how do we get in touch with this natural state of wisdom and love? First, it helps, as we've mentioned here before, to get in touch with your strong motivation, your clear comprehension of purpose, your sincere intention that keeps you looking. That is your main secret ingredient because that will keep you facing in the right direction and keep you taking the next step to open up to reality, even when things seem like they're just swirling around and you're, you're going down. Everything passes, but that sincerity will keep you going in the right way. As you are taking one step at a time, getting out of the way by not figuring out, but just trusting in mindfulness, trusting in the truth in this moment is a profound, simple, but profoundly potent way to wake up. That's what the Buddha said. It's so simple to just come back to this moment as it is. This is somebody from uh, a retreat. This is many years ago, but I kept the note. Um, On the first retreat that she did, she was really giving herself a hard time, just going around. And what she was trying to do was continually figuring out. I kept on telling her, you don't have to figure it out. Finally, towards the end of the retreat, she got it and opened up to a whole other understanding. And she wrote, the one thing that's indelibly in my brain is finally getting you don't have to figure it out. That would never have registered as an option before. Just today, I was doing walking meditation, struggling as my thoughts were going round and round. Those words came into my mind You don't have to figure it out. I stopped and closed my eyes and asked myself, what is true right now in this moment? And what was true was the rising and falling of my breath and various body sensations coming and going. The rest will balance itself out in its own time, I thought to myself. And I resumed my walking. What a revelation. It's so simple, not easy, but so simple. Get out of the way and just come into the truth of this moment. A second is this further exploration in learning to listen, you know, like Milarepa. Listening to the truth 
in our hearts and in our minds. There's lots of different messages that come in. Some come in with a finger wagging saying, you better not blow it or you better do it this way or what's going to happen if you don't. And others come through in a very different tone that says, this feels right. No, this doesn't feel right. Do you know the difference? Part of the practice is just, I think, a a key part of the practice is listening to discern between the energies of those different messages. How does it feel when that finger-wagging starts happening? This is the voice of fear and confusion. It's contracted. The body feels contracted. The mind feels like it's a scolding. How does it feel, and maybe I'll ask you, when you get clear on something and you have clarity about the right decision, whatever it is, whether it's sitting longer or going for a cup of tea or you know, doing this retreat or whatever. Think when you get clear, how does it feel? How do you know that it's the right decision? Just maybe take a few uh, comments. How do you know? How can you trust that? What's that? Relaxed. Relaxed. Right. That's one thing. You feel relaxed. Peaceful. Peaceful. Great. What else? What is it? No No doubt. How do you know? Any other cues? What's that? Confidence. What's that feeling of confidence? What does it feel like? Janet? No wanting or not wanting. It's just the way it is. How does it feel in your body? You said relaxed. What else? Quiet. The consternation stops. Uh Uh-huh. The energy drops down. Yeah. What else? Anything? What's that? The breath is easy. It, e- it opens up. Ah. There's lots of different cues. There's a, there might be a, a, an alignment, a centeredness, a relaxation, uh, a, a, a feeling of groundedness for some. And it's, it can, there's lots of different ways. But to get to know that really well, and in the mind... There's a kindness, usually. Even if it's a a fierce kindness, it's coming from a place of support. It's compassionate. It's wise. Sometimes I have conversations with with the person I'm interviewing with on retreat. I get really caught, and I have a conversation in my mind. And they're always so wise. Why? I've stepped out of my own head and thinking, oh, what would so-and-so say? Oh, okay. Where's the wisdom? It's right inside of you. So learning to really listen to that and trust it, to recognize it, that ring of truth, it's right inside. And be present and feel the energy of it when it's here. And in our daily life, to really feel, uh, to really express it and act on it. All the good decisions probably have this quality inside.
But be careful because the mind can get tricky and it's just a thought away thinking, aha, I've got the answer. In that, there's usually contraction in when, it, when it's not the voice of wisdom. It can be the voice of pride or the voice of fear or whatever it is. There's a kind of openness and expansion when there's the wisdom. You can get caught in a moment. I, I tell this story. I've shared this before. When um, I was on one, one retreat and uh, I was given the example uh, given the instruction, notice when any sense of self arises. And it was really, it was a sweet instruction. I was really getting into it. I was at IMS and uh, downstairs in the, in the, uh, on the bowling lane, if you ever go down there. My favorite, one of my favorite places to walk. And I was just really noticing, oh, yes. No, no self here. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> And in the middle of this, uh, this this other yogi who was a kind of bull in china shop kind of yogi who just kind of like lumbered around and knocking things around and and he comes walking walking through. Um, he he kind of was uh, uh, a, a valuable stimulus for a lot of people's practice in <laughs> um, equanimity since we're doing equanimity now. And he comes through and he's. And in those days, we were rep- we, some people were doing the reporting of your uh, experience, you know, in uh, uh, Mahasi style, like Upandita used to do. And tell me about your clear sitting. So there he was, kind of lumbering through with a, a big book, writing as he's as he's doing it, as he's walking walking through. And I'm just you know going, going in there, and all of a sudden I say. Well, I surely have a lot less sense of self than he does. <laughs> Just one thought away. So be careful. Sometimes we can get caught in our fear and don't think that there's another way to work with it. And one of my axioms is. When I feel that voice of fear, I don't want to abandon it or say, oh, get out of here. If you get angry at fear, it just comes back at you, uh, you know, exponentially. So I say, okay, I put fear in the passenger seat. I get it out of the driver's seat. I put a seatbelt around it, maybe a helmet around it to make it feel safe and say, yes, dear, we respect you and honor you, but you don't get the keys to the car. And I wait until the voice of wisdom comes in. And you can do that. You can, you can listen. At least know that it's fear that's been driving you and not trust the answer it's giving for that. Sometimes we can be afraid of making a wrong decision. Particularly now, there are, there are people, some people here who are leaving in a few days, some who are going to be staying for another month. Uh, either way, I know people who are having the thought arise from time to time, what am I going to do with my life next? 
And this can be very debilitating when you're afraid of making the wrong decision. How to listen and trust that you won't blow it. I was at one point in my life faced with a number of choices. I've been teaching school in, uh, in New York for a number of years and uh, I loved it for many years, but it was starting to get old. And when teaching gets old, it gets old very fast because it's not about the kids. It's about the energy that we bring. By the way, any teachers, any school teachers here? I bow to you. It's one of the most important, if not the most important job that we, that we have. And uh, we really want to honor teachers. So... I was getting old, and, uh, but I was making $17,000 at the time, and that was big money, and I didn't want to leave that security. Then I thought, well, I could go up to uh, IMS to work on staff there. It had just, just opened up, and I could be just held in the Dharma. Or I could move out to California. I was feeling like it was time for me to, to move, and I had visited, and I said, yeah, that feels right. Or going to Asia, having my Asian experience. And I didn't know what to do and didn't want to blow it. I went round and round in my mind. Finally, I decided to go, this is in the summer in Colorado, as in Colorado each summer at Naropa. And I went to this very wise man who I'd gone to before with uh, and gotten some really great advice. His name was Reverend Miller, a psychic. $5 a reading. (laughs) He wasn't in it for the money. And I said, hey, look, uh, I've got big choices here. I don't know what to do. Please help me. And he said, "Um, well, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I said, oh, (laughs) I don't know. Maybe this wasn't worth the $5 after all. (laughs) He said, but I will tell you one thing. I said, yeah? He said, it doesn't matter. I said, what do you mean it doesn't matter? That's my life you're talking about. And he proceeded to say, well, you know, if you're frozen in indecision, then he believed in spirit guides. Then then your guides can't help you on your way. You're just stuck. But if you need to make a choice, if you need to do something, put your, then just put yourself in motion. Use the information you have and go take the next step, what feels like the right way to go. And as you do, your guides can help you unfold. And you can see, oh yeah, this is working out fine. Or you might say, oh no, this isn't the right way. I'll do the, I'll do the other choice. Or you can start to go in one direction and something will open up that you never could have imagined, never would have dreamed would have happened, leading you onward. He said, either way, life will keep on unfolding for you. You just keep on listening and showing up and start to trust in that process. And so listening is hearing what the next step is. As Ramda says in Be Here Now, the next message you hear will be the next message you hear. (laughs) We just have to keep our our mind and heart tuned to that. And when we do, we see the wisdom is right inside. 
When you hear somebody saying something really wise, don't get fooled into thinking the wisdom is out there. It's just touching you in a place that says, yep, right on, that you know for yourself. Start to trust that more and more. It doesn't take 20 lifetimes to get there. It takes courage to be willing to open up to everything so that you can hear that deeper wisdom underneath. That's not even your wisdom. That's coming from an awareness that moves through you. And this is, uh, this is from Ajahn Sumedho. He says, uh, Our refuge is in this awareness rather than trying to figure things out or trying to sustain refined experiences. You can't do that. Maybe you can learn. Maybe you can increase your sense of experience and understanding. But resting in this consciousness, in this conscious awareness, this is what coming home is about. It's our real home. It's a place to rest like a home. The idea of home is a place where you belong, isn't it? You're no longer a foreigner or an alien. You're home at last. This is what your real refuge is. And once you get a glimpse of it, you more and more want to live in it and access that just by quieting down just by what you're doing here. And so I'll close with the words of the Buddha. Therefore, be a lamp unto yourself. Be a refuge to yourself. Betake yourself to yourself. No external refuge. Hold fast to the truth as a lamp. Hold fast to the truth as a refuge. Look not for a refuge in anyone besides yourself. Those who either now or after I'm dead shall be a lamp unto themselves and betake to themselves no external refuge, but hold fast to the truth as their lamp. Hold fast to the truth as their refuge. Shall not look for a refuge to anyone besides themselves. It is they who will reach the very topmost height, but they must be willing to learn. So let's sit for a moment. you. Thank you for your practice. So we'll do some walking and come back for last sitting. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org.
dot org slash donate.